Father, we do come to give you praise, to give you glory on this magnificent day that you've created. Thank you that you are present with us as we worship you now. Thank you for the power of your word, the gift of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would come and take this word of yours and let it be life for us today. Pray that you would move mountains and lives here this morning. Pray that you would meet those who are, who are struggling and wrestling, would set captives free. We would see how high and wide and deep is your love for us. And so we submit ourselves and make our prayer, come Holy Spirit, do what only you can do, set us ablaze for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Last Sunday, we began a, a new sermon series that's going to carry us throughout the fall. We're going to be going through, in, in, in some depth actually, the book of Exodus. And I've titled it, Exodus, the mission of God and the mission of God's people. You know, wherever you are right now, whatever you believe about God, wherever you are on this journey, whether he's someone that you have truly come to follow and surrender to, or if he's someone that you just, you're, you just want to get to know more of, you just don't know much about him, but you want to know more about him. Or for those who come with maybe a more skeptical bent, I don't know about this God. I'm glad you're here. And my prayer is that you wouldn't just listen today, but that you would join us as we dive into this ancient, glorious book in the Old Testament. Because I think what you're going to find is this incredible theme that shines throughout the book. And it's this, we come to know the heart of God in the book of Exodus. We come to know the heart of God who came to bring salvation and to set captives free. So my prayer is that as you listen today and as you come and, or watch at other times, that you would truly come to know the heart of the one true God that we come to worship today every time we gather there's two things I want us to look at as we look at the latter part of uh, Exodus chapter 1 this morning and then dive into chapter 2. Two simple points I've got for you. First is this. God takes the place of death and brings life. Okay. God takes the place of death and brings life. And secondly, we're going to see that God wastes nothing. So let's dive in. God takes the place of death and he brings life. Let me, let me catch you up to speed as, as we kind of finish chapter 1 and get into chapter 2. We know that the Israelites have been enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. And it's gotten to the point that the Pharaoh, who was king of Egypt at this time, was putting incredible burdens on the people. I mean, they were enslaved like no one has ever seen. The weight and the burden. What he was trying to do was snuff these people out, snuff out the Hebrews, because they kept growing larger and larger and larger, and he saw them as a threat. So he tried all these things, these burdens, these weights to put on them to make them die out. And guess what happens? They grew stronger, and they grew stronger. And so what we find is Pharaoh had one other thing he was going to try to do to, to, to kill off the Hebrews. And if you look at the end of chapter 1, verse 22, the last verse we read, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Horrific. 
genocide, the killing of every male child born. It's unimaginable, isn't it? They were to be thrown into the Nile River. Well, if you know much about the Nile, the Nile to the Egyptians was seen as a god, a river god, a god that would bring life or death. And so in throwing these babies into that river, Pharaoh was kind of getting out, saying, well, it was this river god who was consuming them. But he was trying to do everything he could to push out these people. Now, picture yourself there in Egypt. You're under the incredible weight of slavery, incredible burdens, overwhelming. And now, for a husband and wife who find themselves pregnant, they have to wait nine months Wondering, is this child going to be a boy who will have to be killed or a girl that we can keep? I mean, unimaginable pain and stress that they found themselves under. Things were going from bad to worse. You know, I wonder if you can think of a time in your life when things went from bad to worse. Maybe some of you are experiencing that now. Maybe some will experience it, I don't know, in the years ahead. We go through those times and things go from bad to worse, you know. But listen, as horrific as all of this is, as bleak as the situation was, I want you to hear this, God was not distant. God was not distant from his people. God knew exactly what was going on. And what we find here in this story is that God takes a place of death and brings life. This is where we get to the birth of Moses in chapter 2. Moses is born, and his mother and father, uh, he's not named yet, by the way, but they keep him for three months, and they hide him. Can you imagine how difficult that would be? We've had three kids. I don't think we could hide anything. But to hide a baby boy for three months, and then that unimaginable day came for his mother. The day that she knew she could no longer hide him. And and, and so what she does is she puts this basket together. And she places this three-month-old baby in the basket in the river. This Nile River that was filled with so many unknowns. This river that was known as the giver of life, but also the river of death. Now listen, if you ever wonder, God, are you in control? God, do you know what is going on? I want you to know that God is in control. And what we see in this scene, he takes a place of death and brings life. You know what's fascinating here? When you get into the Hebrew and you look at the Hebrew word for basket, it's only used one other time in the scriptures. And you know what it refers to? Noah's Ark. I love the imagery, the picture here. That God's hand was on Noah, this great deliverer, who in this ark delivered people out of the flood. And now we see God's hand on this little baby, Moses, who was going to be a deliverer for his people. I hope you're beginning to get a picture. Place of death, this river, was going to become a place of life. Now I want you to picture the scene again. Moses' mother places him in this basket, not knowing what's going to happen to her baby, puts him in the river. Her daughter, his sister, goes downstream to kind of watch what's going to happen. 
And all of a sudden, there's Pharaoh's daughter and her servants. She's bathing in the river. She, she sees this basket. She hears this baby. She has her people go and get it. And then his sister says, I, I know a Hebrew woman who can nurse the baby for you. So Moses, this baby gets to go back to his mother and she gets paid. And then all of a sudden we find that the deliverer is going to be raised up in the house of Pharaoh. You can't make this up. I mean, you think about all of the things that, that had to come to in place. God is in control. God takes that place of death and he brings life. It's an incredible scene. But you know, really, this is the pattern of Scripture, that God takes the place of death and brings life. I already mentioned Noah and the flood. Through that ark, life began anew. Remember Jonah? Jonah and that great fish? Jonah was swallowed in this fish, and you would think in the belly of a huge fish, you're going to die. Nothing lives in there. But God brought life from that place of death. And as, as, as Jonah was cast back online, on, on land, he had a new trajectory for his life. God can even take a graveyard, a place where death is the end of the story, and bring life. It's exactly what he did when Jesus was in that grave for three days. He took a place of death. His disciples thought, it's the end of the story. What are we going to do now? And who would know that the Savior who was crucified would be raised from the grave, new life? Friends, that's what we find in the resurrection, isn't it? Through death comes life. What you and I need to see here is this. That picture, death, life coming through death, becomes a new rhythm, a new paradigm, a new pattern for our lives today. You see, when you read in Paul's epistles, he, you, you'll often hear him saying the call for followers of Christ to die to sin, that call to die to sin, why? So that we could come more fully alive in who Jesus made us to be. Often Paul will say, put to death this, and he'll name things. Lust, I add materialism in there because it's so prominent among us. <laughs> put to death unhealthy relationships, Put to death gossip, slander, anger, manipulation. The list goes on and on and on. See, there's this call as we follow Christ that we would put sin to death in us so that you and I could become more alive in Christ. You see, I think what happens, though, is this. We become so busy. We become so consumed with things that we fail to see the pattern, the call of a follower of Jesus is that we would die to sin and come alive in Christ. We're okay that there's certain things that are just robbing us of life. And maybe for some, you haven't tasted the glorious new life that Christ came to give. But he really came that we would die so we could come alive. You know, we fill our lives with so many things today. Uh, it's part of our culture there's so many good things, but a lot of distractions. And in our distractions, I believe that we fail to hear the voice of the Lord because we busy ourselves. We're constantly having a screen or doing something. We're so busy that we don't slow down to hear the voice of the Lord. 
You see, God is calling us. He, he longs to name things in your life and in mine, sin patterns that we've just kind of said, this is just part of my life, <laughs> so deal with it. And, and we just kind of go through the motions. I think I shared with you last week that I was away a few weeks ago um, on a silent retreat. And, and there was a part of me that was just longing to just get with God because I just wanted to be with him. All, all the distractions were just, they were, they were pushing me down. And so I've never done this, and I don't know if I would, I wouldn't recommend it at first, but I was gone for five days. Uh, maybe take a day. But in that time, the Lord spoke and he showed me three things, three sins in my life that he wanted to break, that he wanted me to die to. The sin of fear of man, <laughs> being too consumed to what other people think of me. The sin of control, wanting to be in control of all things. And the sin of striving, thinking that in all my doing, I could somehow earn favor with God. Friends, it was in that quiet moment that I was able to hear the Lord, and he showed me that. And he showed me how he's taking me on a journey now where those things are going to be, I pray, put to death so that I can come more alive in who Jesus came to make me be. So I'm going to ask you this question. What is God calling you to die to? What are those things that, that God is calling you to put to death so that you can come more alive? You see, we forget that second part. But Jesus came to bring life and life to the full. And we taste it and we live into that the more we die to our sin. So what is he calling you to die to? Let me get practical, just very, very simply right here. Whatever he shows you, I would say lean into it. Don't run from it, but lean into it and, and lay it before the Lord and let him wrestle with the Lord over it. And know that you, if as a follower of Christ, you've got the power of the living God, you've got the Holy Spirit alive in you who will enable you to fight against that and experience freedom. So the first is lean into whatever God is showing you. Secondly, see this. See that repentance is your friend. Repentance is your friend. It's not something for us to be ashamed of or to try to run from. Here's the deal. When you and I come and repent, what we're doing is we're naming what's not working. We're naming where we've offended God. And we turn to something so much greater. We let go of something that robs us of life so that we can lay hold of the one, Jesus, who brings us life. And we see as we live this out, a life of repentance, we find our lives being broken free. Let repentance be your friend. As I've learned, the older I get as I follow Jesus, <laughs> I used to kind of run from that. But I, I, I realized as followers of Christ, we need to be a Repentance needs to be a regular rhythm over and over and over in our day because that's where freedom begins. So that's what we see here, begin to see in this story. Well, as the story progresses, this little baby who's being raised by his Hebrew mother, it was time for him to be given to Pharaoh's daughter to raise in Pharaoh's house. And so his daughter receives this baby and she names him Moses. Do you know what Moses means? I drew you out of water. Now you see, names in the, in the Old Testament and even the New Testament, names meant something. 
You didn't just think up a name like I was actually named after the doctor who delivered me. That didn't mean a whole lot. (laughs) But names back then meant something. I drew you out of water. And I love this imagery that Moses, who was drawn out of water, was going to be used by God to deliver his people through the water. A deliverer. God takes the place of death and he brings life. And then we we fast forward a bit longer and and by this time, Moses is probably 40 years old when we hit uh, verse 11 in chapter 2. And so Moses had been raised in Pharaoh's house, educated in the finest schools in Egypt, and he's probably 40 years old by now, and we read this at the beginning of uh, chapter 2, verse 11. He went out to his people, and he looked out on their burdens. You see, though he was raised as an Egyptian, Moses knew his heritage. Moses knew he was a Hebrew. He knew the people who were suffering were his people, And so in this particular moment, he goes out where where he sees them actually in the slave labor. And he looked out on his people, on their burdens. Now, what's fascinating here is that Moses didn't just see them in that heavy work. Like you could look out and see someone working hard out here. He did see that. But again, the Hebrew word, the verb here that, that means looked out, that we translate looked out, literally means this. To see with emotion. To see with emotion. He was stirred in his heart. His heart was transformed as he saw them. Their burden became his burden. They were his people. And he began to feel the weight, the true weight, literally, what they themselves were experiencing. I said a second ago, their burdens became his burden. Can you think of someone else who took on another's burden? What a picture this deliverer shows us the ultimate deliverer, doesn't he, Jesus? That God, in knowing the the shape that humanity was in because of the fall, the heart of God we see coming out as he sent his son, Jesus, into this world. And Jesus didn't just look from one side of a window, looking through, peering in to see us out there. No, he stepped in. He came through, and he joined us. And he didn't just look at us. He actually experienced our burdens. He took your burdens on himself. And he took those burdens to the cross to set you free. That's the beauty, friends, of a deliverer of God bringing, bringing a place of death, bringing life. Jesus got in our skin. Now, I said last week that the Exodus story is also our story. It's not just some ancient book that was written thousands of years ago that's just kind of nestled at the very beginning of the Scripture that is a history lesson for us. No, it's alive, it's active, and it's our story. You see, the mission of God is our mission as well. Think about that. As Moses looked out and saw and experienced the burdens of the people around him, friends, I believe that we are so called to not just see the people around us and see the weight that they're holding, but that we would see them and love them and experience that so that we could actually draw near to them. 
As people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are the hands and feet of Jesus in this world today. I want you to think for a minute, who is around you? Who's around you that might not, you might not verbally hear them cry out, but when you see and you draw near, you know there is suffering and there is pain. Who's God calling you to identify with in their pain? Like he's identified with you in yours. Is it a friend who's going through a tough relationship? Is it someone who has a really difficult marriage right now? that you can come and identify with and come alongside? Is it someone whose life has been filled with stress and anxiety of these last eight plus, no, six plus months? Maybe a young family who's wrestling with stuff going on in school. You see, you and I are not the Savior. We've got to be clear about that. But we point people to the Savior. And we have an incredible call, an incredible opportunity that we would so draw near to the people around us in their suffering that we bring the very presence of Jesus who came to take their burdens on. That's the calling, isn't it, for you and me? We begin to see more of the heart of God, don't we? Seeing that he brought salvation to set people free. He carries our burdens. So that's the first thing we see here in chapter 2, is that God takes the place of death and brings life, and we are often, we are instruments of that life to those around us. But finally, and this is going to be short, don't worry, God wastes nothing. And I love this scene, it's easy to just read over and keep going, but look at Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. We read, one day when Moses had grown up, He went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian down, and he hit him in the sand. You know what's happening here? And identifying with his people and knowing their burdens, he sees this Egyptian fighting with one of his people, and he sought to take matters in his own hands. In his mind, he thought, I'm going to deliver my people now. I'm going to do something about this. But guess what? His time hadn't come. God hadn't come to him to say that you were going to deliver my people out. Moses did a horrific thing. He murdered a man. He now became a murderer on the run. And he flees and he goes to the land of Midian, this this desert wilderness area. You see, what we found first is this, that this man Moses, who was this admirable man, I mean, you look at him, he stood up for injustice. He identified with those who suffered. He wanted something better, but he failed miserably. He killed a man. He was now a murderer, a failure of epic proportion. But I hope you heard the point. God wastes nothing. You know what God did? He took him into this land of of Midian where he literally wandered for 40 years, became a shepherd, got married, had a child. God in that time restored and prepared Moses for something he would have never imagined. Oh yeah, Moses, you think that you're going to lead my people out by killing the Egyptians like you did? No way. I've got something far greater And there's the way that I'm going to use you in a way you would never imagine. Friends, I want you to hear this today. God wastes 
nothing. Whatever you've done, whatever you've been involved in, no matter how horrid you might think it is, whatever guilt you may still be carrying, I want you to know that God wastes nothing. He loves you and he cares for you in the midst of your failure because in the midst of our failures, we find a redeemer who says, your life is mine. I love this scene. Let me just tell you, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how low you might have gone. You can never go so low to be away from the love of God and his redeeming, restoring, refining, life-giving work for you and for me. You know, we learn from our mistakes, but listen, our mistakes do not disqualify us for being used by God. He uses all of it, even a murderer, to deliver his people out. It's incredible. Again, I said it wrong. You can't make this up. But it's the story of a God whose heart is bigger than you and I could ever imagine, who came to rescue, to redeem, and save. That this God takes the place of death and brings life, and he wastes nothing. Let me end with this quote. A number of the commentators that I read in preparing this uh, quoted this person, so I don't know who it's actually from, but here's what this individual wrote. Moses spent 40 years in Egypt learning something. 40 years in the desert learning to be nothing, and 40 years in the wilderness proving God to be everything. Who's the deliverer? God. Who's the giver of life? God. Who carries our burdens? God. Who meets you right where you are today? In spite of whatever you've done? God. So come. Receive what he has done and let your heart be free because the deliverer has come. Amen? Amen.